Today's podcast is with Joanne Cotiana. Playing in the junior ITF and on the Australian circuit, she won two doubles national titles and was a semi-finalist in the singles nationals. At US College, uh, she played in a team that won two conference USA titles. She, she, she improved her tennis to the point where she, she was a, able to achieve a, a women's WTA ranking in singles and doubles and, and in the top 50 in Australia. She's now the director of tennis at Box Hill Senior College and uh, she's also working physical preparation and tennis coaching with the National Academy of Tennis Australia. And she's had diverse roles in strength and conditioning with sports like football and netball. Qualified in exercise science at, uh, in the US, she's fully accredited as a tennis coach and she's now doing her masters in strength and conditioning at Edith Cowan University. She talks about her career development and, and meshing tennis coaching with strength and conditioning. Uh, the backdrop is an insight into a young player who had to work part-time in menial jobs as a junior. She, she completed uh, VCE or school full-time and, and she used to have to get the training at, uh, by public transport. So, so a little bit different. As a tour player to make ends, she, she coached and worked varied jobs. Uh, we discussed her struggles with an injury which curtailed the tennis career and lessons learned from that for young players uh, around load management and, and doing things properly. All these experiences are valuable in a development as a coach. We, we certainly talk about tennis and junior development, and I think it's really important to add that all the experiences of, of trying to make it at, at an elite level uh, can, can, can really help uh, develop a career later. So nothing is lost when you give something your very best all the time. And I think Joe's, Joe's lessons here are very much indicative of that. She's always given her best uh, in, in everything she's done. So let's get chatting. Uh, hi, Joe. How are you? Hi, Lars. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for chatting with me. Uh, certainly fairly topical right now. Tennis, obviously, with the Moratoglu Academy talking about the, the problems with tennis players in the circuit and Dominic Team talking about not wanting to input money that uh, Djokovic and Federer and the rest of them have said. Uh, so it's, it's fairly topical, even though, you know, COVID-19 has, has hit that. Have you been following all that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's a bit of a tough situation at the moment. The tennis players, more so than anything else, for example, in Australia, we're probably not going to be able to travel until, you know, quite late in the year. So basically, there are at least nine months that tennis players are going to be out of a job, essentially. Um, and even more for not being able to, obviously at the moment, no one can really get on court or do anything. So it's definitely forced time away, which obviously it's not just tennis, it's, it's pretty much every sport. Um, so yeah, it's really tough at the moment for all athletes. Yeah, and tennis a little bit more possibly because you have to travel, obviously, you know, NRL, AFL might, yeah. may be able to start, but yeah, tough one. Now, what I wanted to chat, what I wanted to chat to you about to start off with was, was you know, just get a bit of an understanding of your junior career and, and 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 the backdrop because we're talking about career development also is, you know, your studies, your VCE, and the work you did. So a little, little bit of a snapshot of what you did as a junior ITF player. Yeah, so I I was not one of those players who sort of left school, which I think at at the time that I was a junior, I'm 31 now. Um, most of the, the better players were, you know, advised from, from the, you know, the academies and um, the institutes, et cetera, et cetera, to do distance ed, where that's massively changed now. 
Um, so I went to school full time, um, tra- you know, travel, play tournaments um, when I could, basically on school holiday. Parents both worked full time and stuff like that. So yeah, just sort of had to do, you know, develop a lot of independence myself from from a young age um, to be able to get myself not only to tournaments and stuff, but to training every day. Yeah, and obviously working when I could on weekends. Um, I did a bit of tennis coaching. I did a bit of babysitting. And, you know, uh, my friend had a job in a factory. So on, on one day a week, went and did that um, as well. So, yeah. So, so not your usual parent taking the child to training every day. I mean, you're just a good old airport West girl, I suppose. So it was, it was, it was a little bit of a different yeah. scenario, wasn't it, for you? Yeah. And- yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, which is good. Obviously, as a tennis player, you have to develop some independence because you're going to be travelling all around the world unless you have, you know, X amount of dollars. It's pretty much impossible. So it's, it's served me well in a way. Um, obviously, it would have been nice to have coaching, you know, private lessons, et cetera, et cetera, more often than what I was able to afford. But at the same time, um, I will say that I was able to develop some other qualities that helped me in good steps, not only as an athlete, but as a student, all, all those sort of things that you need to be, you know, driven and, and successful. So you, you tennis, you, you obviously you, you played junior ITF, you played in nationals as a junior. And then you went to the States. Yeah. Give us a snapshot there. Um, yeah, like I said, I got my ranking in the world as a junior to top 300. And like I said, that was just through through playing um, when I could on holidays, ITF. So, you know, it wasn't the, the usual week in, week out thing. Um, so I, I did pretty well to be able to do that. Played, yeah, the, the junior Aussie Open, played... Yeah, nationals made semi-finals twice on grass courts, clay courts. Won, won a couple of doubles national titles as well. So I, I was pretty lucky in, in that I got a few offers to go to college, um, college tennis, which was the obvious pathway for me because if you if you don't have um, enough money, it's pretty tough as a tennis player because, uh, especially from Australia, because there's basically tournaments you know two three months of the year and then there's nothing else mm-hmm. for the rest of the time here so you're forced um to travel to go play tournaments whether it's usually to asia america or europe so college was um, a way that i could continue my education which was which was important to me um, but also yeah still continue to keep my dream alive of becoming a professional tennis player Okay, so you obviously did quite well at VCE. You, you got into exercise science. In, whereabouts was it? Tulsa? I finished off at Tulsa, but I was at Oklahoma State University oh, okay. for two years and then transferred um, and then went to Tulsa for two and a half years. So give us a little bit of a, you know, a, an overview of what college tennis was like, the training, the, the lifestyle, I suppose, and, and the competition. I will say it's, it's very it's very different at each college. So I think it's important for people who are looking to go play college sport, if possible, to first of all go check it out and, and meet meet the other coaches, players, um, the environment because every school environment is very different. Every coach 
and their philosophy is very different. My first university, I went to Oklahoma State, it's very different now because it's a very different coach. The, the University of Oklahoma State ended up winning a national, um, the NCAA, uh, about you know five years later after I left because they got a different coach in and the environment was completely different. But my, my, the head coach at the time where I was, fantastic school, um, and especially for sport, it's, it's massive on sport, but the coach was very relaxed. It's sort of been, I think he'd been the coach there for... 15, 20 years, so it was just sort of going through the motions and, and yeah, very relaxed, whereas I've had friends who have gone there who, who said so strict they couldn't, they had to eat certain things and everything was monitored down to a T. There was no, you know, no drinking, no partying or anything during seasons where um, my coach was more like, you know, as long as you're here by, you know, 8 o'clock, 7 o'clock the next morning and, you know, you've got to play, so just be reasonable, um, mm. which which works for reasonable, reasonable people. But in, yeah. in the college life, it's um, it can be quite tempting uh, for, for a lot of people, which don't so human. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, like I said, it's, 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 it's very different. The average day is get up either training in the morning if you have early morning training, classes usually five six hours in the day then you'll have your main training session in the afternoon for two about two hours you might have gym and then you've got study hall and do it all again so it's pretty you don't have a lot of free time as a student athlete because obviously you've got to finish get everything done so that um, you can maintain your grades because as a college athlete, if you don't maintain, um, I think it's a 2.5 GPA, which is a C average, yep. then you're not eligible for your scholarship anymore. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah it's got to be a so that, that's priority. Not, in, that's in not token. Athlete. That that they do enforce that that grade point average. That's Definitely it. enforce it, but there are there are people who are more lenient based on the fact that that you're a um, that you're an athlete at the school, and also. You know, say a big athlete such as a footballer, whatever, star quarterback or something. You know, they often try to work as best they can with with athletes um, in, in keeping them, you know, keeping their grades up to scratch that they need to stay eligible. Yeah, yeah. You'll get all the support and help that you could ever 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 want. You can get tutors for every subject. You can. There's there's basically no reason why you, you shouldn't be at least passing everything that's for sure fantastic experience so so i remember when i met you 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 had some serious knee issues when you came back from the states um give give me a bit of an overview how that sort of occurred relative to the training there and obviously you've said every university is different and everything every training program is different every social environment is different but just give me an overview of what happened there because that that was they were fairly serious knee injuries actually yeah, well, it's a fairly heavy load as it is, college tennis. They're all hardcore, so it's obviously a lot harder on your body um, than, than clay courts or grass courts or anything like that. Uh, but, yeah, so you're training at least two, two, three, four hours on court a day on average, and then I was very determined and, and wanted to be very good, so I was always trying to do the extra mile, going for five five to 10K runs on concrete, um, probably lifting heavy weights without perfect technique. 
Um, but more more so, just just me overdoing it, just wanting wanting to do more and more and more on top of um, what was already a, a pretty heavy schedule. So definitely just overloading and and not listening listening to my body like I should have when things were sore and backing off a little bit or seeking out more help um, from from the physios and trainers over there. Yeah, well, obviously, having known you, you're a highly motivated person and a hard trainer. But, but interestingly, there there wasn't um, advice there to to slow down or load monitoring at the time. I suppose it's already ten years ago now, or a bit more actually. Yeah. Yeah, there there was, but I mean, I'm sure it's still the same. At the end of the day, you're there to represent your school, and you're there to play. You know, that's what you're on scholarship to do. Mm-hmm. So your coach is obviously encouraging you to get on the court um, as well as, you know, the whole team and et cetera, et cetera, because you want to win. You don't want to let down your team. Um, and, yeah, I think I think also being that team element as well, you, you sort of play through a few things that maybe it's your risk would listen a bit more mm-hmm. um yep. so there's the pros and, and the cons a little bit to being on a team but yeah I, I i think that um yeah there's obviously pressure from from the coaches and and from the the staff to get on court whether you're not feeling 100 percent or not um because the team needs you yeah. and you've got to play and we've got to win this match etc etc um but i think also i think i've spoke to you about this before the, the advice was always to sort of back off and do nothing, like just rest. Whereas though these days we're, we're very aware that that's not the, the answer to people who have injuries. It's to strengthen those weaknesses, et cetera, et cetera. So um, very different problem solving and, and solution now to what it probably was 10 years ago. So your mindset as a young lady or girl at, at college and a motivated one was... If you do a heap more, you're just going to get better, and that was something that, which is probably a pretty obvious, <laughs> logical conclusion. Often, yeah. that people have, yeah. Was that was that how you were thinking at the time? Do you think? Yeah, and that's definitely something that my mindset um, has changed on. It was just like the more you do, um, you know, physically, the more you train on court, you know, the better you're going to get. But unfortunately, that's not the way the way it works, and and your body can only handle so much. So, yeah, it was, it was a good thing that I was highly motivated, but it was bad to my detriment because I was just doing too much. And obviously the way that tennis is previously, the, the logic to, to becoming a successful player has always been to do more and more and more and you need to hit X amount of balls and you need to do this, this and that, whereas there Obviously, I think we're starting to get a little bit more smarter about the way we train and not just junk training everything and actually making it quality when we're on court, not hitting, you know, a thousand balls cross court and, and that's all you do on court. So, yeah, yeah I think I think the, the dynamic and I think the statistics as well that, um, that are coming out around basically in tennis, 70% of points are won in the first four shots. So why are we practicing? spending 70%, 80%, 90% of our sessions hitting balls back and forth straight to each other. That's not the reality of the game. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of different um, thinking now to what it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Well, yeah, I, I agree. I suppose we've spoken about that before, that there, 
there are a lot of, well, there, there were or still are a lot of myths with tennis. There's not a lot of information that's out there with research, yeah. I find, you know, that you can sort of dig into. And, and the myth that, yeah. that a lot of parents and people in the industry have is exactly that. You know, we did 2200s, we spent all day on court, the Spaniards do this, the Spaniards do that. But I certainly yeah. had to sort of uh, step in and, and fix up a lot of carnage from kids going to academies over in Europe and people at IMG. I, I just found that um, there's, a, there's a lot of carnage with kids, especially that um, get, get, gets thrown into the deep end and, and everybody pumps them with that, that logic. So, so what was in the injury? What, what, what was the issue again? It was patellar tendonitis mainly, but obviously there's yeah a whole lot of other other things going on. But that was a persistent problem that I just didn't seem to be able to overcome. Yeah. Um, with my rehab and time off, pretty frequent issue. But yeah, management and I tried PRP injections. I you know did did a few different things, um, but it never really recovered to the point that I could play the way that I needed to to be successful. Basically high intensity, fast changes of direction, explosive, acceleration, etc, etc. All the qualities that are needed, I just wasn't able to do it pain free and it, it definitely hindered, hindered me physically but then obviously that that leads on to, to the mental side of it, knowing that you, you can't function mm the way that you'd like to or at a hundred percent. So the confidence um, in, in your body and in your game uh, definitely takes a hit. And you're a powerful athlete, so that made it even worse, I suppose, you know, because you put a lot of stress on your joints. That's uh, that was the, my experience yeah. I had, yeah. you know, training you. So, so what, what have you learned now? We're going to talk about your coaching career, but I think we'll just leapfrog to that very briefly. What have you learned now about, the whole load thing and, and the developing athlete and in effect also the tour athlete because you know we've seen some of our yeah. some of our friends I suppose go under with with injuries it's really they could have avoided yeah I think it's yeah I'm definitely a big advocate for the the holistic approach and just taking a look at at not just tennis but what's going on you know what are you doing physically to prepare yourself for the demands that you're placing on your body through through being on court for X amount of hours, the injury prevention, the even the mental training, I think they all have play their role. So for me, um, it's not just one thing, it's a whole series of elements that you need to be successful. But from a yeah, perspective, as you said, traditionally tennis players just overtrain. So just being aware of their load management and especially as juniors uh, pre-pubescent, um, they can't put the same demands on their body and their joints that they can. So, you know, they can probably train a bit more and get away with it. But as soon as they hit adolescence and they're getting, you know, sh more powerful, etc., if they don't have the right, if they don't have the right tracking, if they don't have the right, basically, athlete development, then they're going to be in a lot of trouble. And I think it sort of becomes a matter of time until injuries, injuries will occur. Yeah, and, and in 2020, I, 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 I hazard a guess that there's still a heap of parents and a heap of coaches that are still pushing that with young kids and, and just basically flogging them, I suppose, and, 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 and promoting yeah. that, that aspect. As, and we'll, we'll move on to education because that ties into it because obviously there's still some distance ed going on. 
but I find that um, yeah, that yeah, that's still still part of the philosophy that people have instilled in them. Do you do you still find that now with 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 when you're coaching? Oh, definitely. Um, people. People will sell a drink and say that they say whatever, so they'll be able to take you there. And I think that's one of their tools is they go, you know, we'll do this amount of hours and this of fitness and running and jumping without realising the damage it'll do. But, but for, the, for a lot of um, coaches, it happens, they do it. And, you know, say that athlete does get injured, oh, well, we'll move on to the next person because I'm getting my salary. And in saying that, it's the same with parents. If parents don't get the result that they're after immediately within, you know, a certain time frame, a month, two months, whatever, they're, they're looking for the next best thing. Um, so it's, yeah, it's tough. It definitely works both ways with, with parents um, and also with coaches. So like, like we always speak about, it's just education and, and educating the parents as to why you believe what you believe in your philosophy and, you know, I guess it's also good to have the, the scientific research to back up why you're doing what you're doing and, and get that, that buy-in and that trust um, with the parents and also the athletes that you've got their best interest in, in what you're doing. Yeah, and, and, and obviously it's interesting when uh, I suppose I started digging deep about 20 years ago, 10 years ago, and then found, you know, Fedra had played soccer and had to make a choice. Nadal was a great soccer player. Del Potro was a soccer player. Andy Murray played soccer. Uh, McEnroe played a whole lot of sports. Um, you know, Rafter yeah. played rugby league. Hewitt was a great Australian rules footballer and, you know, could have made it. And, and yet we still have a lot of parents just pushing the whole one sport, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve-year-olds, which is OK yeah. if the kid wants to do it. But, but to be honest, the multilateral development... What, what do you still find that's the case with 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 young players just doing one sport? Yeah, I think it's a bit of mixed. I think there are some definitely 100% um, some parents just very set at a very young age, even from from the age of three. I'm I'm coaching a a girl at the moment who's three, and I've I've actually tried to advocate her going into group lessons, etc. But she's just so set on this this three-year-old having private lessons and stuff like that, whereas uh, I just don't think it's the right thing to do. And I'm in total agreement that we should be letting kids do a whole as many sports as they can, basically, because it's all going to help their development as, as an athlete, um, you know, developing their movement patterns, everything, literally everything that they, they can do. So I specialising at a young age in my opinion, is not, not the right thing to do. Um, I, obviously, you want to learn techniques, etc. It helps you the earlier you learn it, the more natural it is. Um, but but tennis isn't just technically hitting a ball. You've got to move to the ball. You've you got to read the play. You've got to be able to have all these series of, of qualities that make you a good athlete that, that you can certainly learn from other sports as well. So. Yeah, for sure. And, and I think that... Uh... One of the other problems, I suppose, with with young developing players is, I'm, I'm probably giving you my opinion now, I found that a lot of parents and coaches just felt that they had the solution to their kids' development and success, future success, where it's just going to be a long journey and, and unfortunately, statistically, not many make it. And, and, and that's a really, really tough 
area to 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 deal with 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 the player, with the parent, with the coach. I, I found personally, I found that yeah, because there's just not many people. Well, that, I think that's the reality of it, and I think that they need to be told that as well. If they're serious about you know their kid becoming a professional, give them that the the numbers, and also look at the the top average age of the top ten is is around the mid twenties. So probably even later than men now yeah, that yeah. you know some of the, know, the big yeah. four are still going or three actually. But yeah, so the average age you'll be playing the best tennis, you know, say mid to late twenties. So yeah. think about the journey from yeah, ten years, fifteen years, whatever it is, you've got a long, long road ahead of you and it's not gonna happen overnight. I think that's sort of yeah, that the hard part is also keeping the long term goals um, at the forefront of the development, rather than going for the wins of right now, um, it's yeah, it's a it's a bit of a tricky one. It is a tricky one, and and, and certainly uh, we're going to talk about your university career and your current strength and conditioning because that's relevant with load management and, and where you're at and your understanding. But uh, I, I I want to tie in just very quickly to finish this discussion. Obviously, you finished up with a degree, you pushed through with the states. Um, the education issue with with young kids and tennis and 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 the correlation with load management and and and, and distance learning um, is that changing now? Obviously, you were saying there's a bit of a different philosophy now from Tennis Australia and different you know around the yeah. world. But I I still found there was a lot of distance ed. Is is it still around? Yeah, it's definitely still around. But the big organisations such as Tennis Australia etc are not necessarily advocating it like they used to. So they're going to support you if that's what you choose to do. Um, and for some people, it does make sense. Like if you're, you know, in the programs and you're spending, you know, five hours a day at the tennis centre or whatever, it's kind of impossible for you not to do it if that's what you want to do, if you can't work around schooling and stuff. But for the majority of athletes, there are still a lot that are doing distance X. Um, but, yeah, obviously, Tennis Australia is, is supporting that and they're having the teachers in in at the tennis centres and stuff to try to help. Whereas though some other players who aren't quite at the level to get that support, they're they're taking it upon themselves to do distance ed and you know train outside of the system. So it's definitely still happening. I, I don't think I'll ever advocate for it because I think education is so valuable and I think that you can still get the hours that you need um, whilst training before and after school during during those high school years. Well, that's a really good point. And yeah, for all the for all the uh, criticism Kyrgios gets, he did go to school, didn't he? <laughs> uh, to VCE. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And, and maybe he should have stayed a little bit longer. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, maybe. Yeah, good. yeah, done an extra subject on cultural sort of thing. Anyway, uh, but um, <laughs> but 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 Plus certainly, but certainly with. Uh, load management and schooling it's just so tied in together because a lot of kids do junk training and what i was wanting to lead to yeah we obviously we realize education is important and we realize that yeah it's tough because a lot of these kids aren't going to make it and they've thrown away in education so that's that's the reality of it from my perspective but the the fact is that with skill acquisition I, I, i suppose and not to put words in your mouth there is not there doesn't seem to be a real cookbook to how much training you need to do to become a good tennis player on court. People just say hit the ball, but you know, can you do it 
going yeah. to school and training five nights a week properly for two hours, for instance. You know, that that's there's not a lot of research. Yeah. There's not a lot of people that sort of put talk about that. It's just like this big mishmash, this big minestrone that occurs and no real... I don't find there's much out there. What's your view? Is it, is it changing? I mean, you've done, you've done a lot of courses and stuff like that. It's definitely, and I think here's the other thing that's massively changing with all sports is it's much more individualised now. So the reality is some people are going to have to hit a lot of balls um, to get their the development of their technique um, to optimise it, basically. There's no way around it. Whereas though some people, their technique is so ingrained because they've done it from such a young age, um, that they might need more of the physical development. Other people, you know, might have those too, but can't emotionally con- control, um, don't have any emotional control when on the court. So that needs to be more of a focus. I think there's no substitute for getting the volume of balls in. So there is definitely going to need to be a certain amount of balls hit um, to, to create that effortless, you know, strokes where you don't have to think about it and it's just ingrained in, in the way you hit the ball. Um, but you're right, there's not do this for two hours and you'll be fine. It's it's not like that. And I don't know that it'll ever be like that because, like I said, everyone's very different. I think their needs are very different. Okay. Um, you know, some people are, you know, some players are all about feel and they just get it and other people are just very mechanical and, and need to, to hit all those balls to get the feel. Um, so I, I think it's, yeah, it's, there's not not really an answer I can give you there for the for the exact amount or the recipe to, you know, create the, the optimal athlete um, as a tennis player. Uh, but they definitely do need to be hitting quite a few balls. But once again, it's, it's the thing that, in my opinion, is most lacking, it's great that they can hit these balls and they might even have fabulous technique, but they're not playing matches. Yep. So they don't actually know how to play the game. Like, t- tactically, how much time do people spend um, tactically teaching their players to play the game? I mean, we do all this training for matches, which kids aren't doing. So, you know, they'll be, they'll be lucky to play one match a week. So, in my opinion... Um, it's not just, you know, spend the time with your coach, however long that is, to develop your technique, but you should be, you know, putting that under pressure to see if it holds up. That's, that's one thing. And then just having an understanding of how to beat players and how to play against different opponents and how to use your strengths and understanding what, what your game is and developing your game um, as an individual. Okay. So, there's, yeah, there's... So it's probably it's probably like unlike track and field where generally speaking we there's there's some form of sort of cookbook it's it's a much more individual developmental need for a young player with tennis yeah okay that that's pretty yeah. that, that that makes sense okay let, let's let's move on to your career now you did exercise science at uh, Tulsa you finished with a degree in exercise science that's right yeah yeah. And then you came back and you, you went on the circuit. You, 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 know, you tried to rehabilitate your knees and, knees and played both the local circuit and the WTA. Is that right? Yeah. So basically on and off for maybe three years. So in that time, I, you'd know, you were there through it all. Yeah. had a stress fracture in my back. I tore ligaments in my ankles. I 
I uh, hurt my intercom. <laughs> what is it called? Uh, between the ribs. <laughs> Yeah, talk to me about that. Don't talk to me about that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've literally strained my butt. Like I can't even tell you the amount of injuries that I had, and obviously the persisting knee injuries. So it was very on and off for me for those those few years after college. Before I I said this is enough. Yeah. I suppose now that you're saying it, and I'm thinking about it, that the knee injuries set you up for the other injuries because you didn't have continuity and then, you know, you go out and bash the ball, you haven't no. been training and so the, the other injuries were almost a byproduct of that, you know, that, that pretty... pretty. Oh, I think it's just all compensation. Yeah. It's all compensation. They're all definitely related mm. to the fact that, you know, I wasn't healthy. I was, you know, playing at... My body was at 60, 70% capacity and I was trying to get 100% out of it. Um, it just wasn't going to work. But that, at the same time, you to, every time you went overseas, I remember you used to have to earn money and bank your own money and then oh, pay, yeah, pay your own bills and pay your yep. own flights. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I basically train um, and play locally in, you know, whether it was tenants or um, local tournaments or whatever it is, trying to make money from, from AMTs and then also coaching um yeah probably four or five nights a week for you know three four hours so it, it becomes very hectic because you're trying to obviously train train full time as an athlete in you know not only on court but also in the gym running whatever it is um and then you're also trying to work to to save um to not only be able to travel but pay for any coaching that you get or obviously um with you, Loris, as, as my fitness trainer, when I came back from college, um, like I said to you, I, I couldn't afford afford you by myself. So luckily I had a couple of friends who, who were in a similar boat to me and we were able to, to split the costs um, to be able to get your services. So, mm. which was, you know, obviously a game changer for me, not only, you know, professionally, but you also um, encouraged encouraged me to keep learning while I was injured and, and had time. So, you know, that's when I did my Cert 3 and 4 in fitness and then, yeah, started started my Masters as well, So which I'm still continuing to this day part-time, mm. um, which which has been, yeah, really, really lucky, to be honest. So yeah, I'm yeah. I'm in a good place. That's fantastic. So, so you retired from tennis, and you had that, you know, fantastic experience of having gone on the circuit, and you got a ranking, so you experienced yeah. it all, which is really important as a coach. Um, yeah. Then, then you did some personal training. I remember, and you, you started your masters. Um, then, then your career. Yeah. Where did you go? You went to some island. Where was that? <laughs> I went to Hayman Island. So oh, yeah. that was pretty much after I. Within six months, six months of you know calling it quits and throwing the rackets away, um, I got a role as a director of tennis. So basically, it's literally just like a five-star resort. So I'd, I'd only do maybe two lessons a day or something like that, and then the rest of the time I'm on like some magical island where I was going out snorkeling and <laughs> you know got my scuba divers license and just hanging out by the beach and yeah, it was it was. It was a pretty amazing um, transition into working, to be honest. Yeah, somebody's got to do it. That's tough. And, and then you, yeah, then, you fin- then you finished up in Darwin. Yeah, so 
obviously the the bubble had to burst at some time. Um, I think I was it was probably about six months of that, and then I got a bit like, okay, all right, so it's time. Um, step back into the real world and, and go back into um, working your butt off again because obviously that's what I enjoy doing. So um, a role came up as uh, a development coach working for Tennis NT, Tennis Australia. So um, I thought that was a great opportunity to get my foot in the door a little bit, see what it's like working with um, juniors and also being involved with, with Tennis NT and Tennis Australia was obviously going to provide some some good opportunities and I, I also did my level two Tennis Australia um, coaching course while I was um, in the NT as well which was a really awesome experience and, and lots of learnings um, from that as well. Yeah yeah so so and you were still studying your masters you, like it's been an ongoing thing now for a couple yeah. of years yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, so and, I generally just do I did two when I was on Hayman Island two subjects but other than that uh, with full-time work, it's just too hard. So I've, I'm just chipping away and doing one subject um, per semester. So I should be done next year. Oh, that's great. And that, that's in strength and conditioning. So yeah. that's at Edithown University, um, strength and conditioning. Yep. Okay, so so then you've moved back to Melbourne to a couple of jobs. Yeah. So one of my... Good friends, Ash Richardson. Um, she works for one of the, the biggest, I'd say, companies in in Melbourne called Vita Tennis. Um, so I've had I've I've just been down for just under two years. So I just got a little bit homesick um, and decided. And also the sun was chilly. You know, you were there for a period of time as well. It was just exhausting um, being in the sun all the time. So yeah, decided it was time to make the move back so it just kind of perfect timing a role came up um, with Vita Tennis to be the director of tennis at Fox Hill Senior Secondary so um, really lucky because the at Fox Hill the kids are actually able to train during the day sort of like a subject um, so yeah we talk about that volume that, that's needed to be a player they're able to get that volume um, during the day and then go train before or after school as well. So just just allowing the time for them to be able to do it while still obviously going to school and, and doing everything as they normally would. Because you're doing your Masters in Strength and Conditioning, I was just looking at the CV yep. you sent me. Um, you, you've, you've worked in netball, that's right, and, and, and in AFLW or VFLW and different areas. So you've actually diversified from tennis a little bit recently. So, so you've you've worked in netball and AFLW, Joe, and in a few different sports whilst you're doing your masters. So outside of tennis, it's definitely been a good experience to work um, with team sports because obviously tennis, tennis is where I've lived my whole life. So it was really fun to work with the girls at um, Melbourne University of Lightning netball, and then also um, Edison Football Club with the VFL women's team. Um, completely. Yeah, I guess it's a different age group as well. So, um, yeah, some of the netballers were, were between, say, 15 or 30-odd, and, and same at Essendon, they're 18, so the oldest was actually 40. So, okay. wide range of athletes and skill sets and different points of development. You know, some girls, you think playing footy, um, just had never stepped in the gym before. So, yeah, it was really interesting um, working with the different sports. 
And I suppose that gave you a chance, you're obviously doing an applied course at the Centre Conditioning, gave you a chance to put things into practice, things that you'd learnt in the States and, and obviously now with Masters, so you're actually actively putting things into practice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And just um, just watching the sports as well, you learn a lot from just seeing what the needs are for different sports and how they train and what's important and you sort of try to work in with that, with, with what you're doing or what I was doing with the S&C as well. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been really good. It was really fun. So, so I suppose you know, when we go back to tennis and we tie in, You've done a varied number of courses in tennis. You've got a, you know, you've got an experience there as a player. Uh, you've studied and you've, you've you've done personal training before also. I remember that you were training kids in different sports, and now you know you've you've branched yeah. out with uh, with footy and netball. Uh, I suppose that puts you in an interesting position as a tennis coach who understands the science of load management, strength training, uh, adaptive responses. Uh, obviously, you, you you work in skill acquisition with tennis. You know you, you're trying to develop young tennis players. So you, you probably got a little bit of a step yeah. ahead of some coaches at this stage. I I would think that's just an opinion of mine. Yeah, it's definitely an advantage um, to to have a different skill set that complements tennis. And I think all tennis coaches are aware how much the physical being of an athlete is is coming becoming more and more important. So the fact that I, I have that background and, and understand how to train athletes and, and develop basically, you know, the fundamentals, um, yeah, definitely holds me in, in good stead as a tennis coach um, moving forward. Yeah, that's right. I suppose when you tease out change of direction and you've done work with Sophia Nymphius and, you know, the, the, the whole change of direction area and, you, you, you have a lot yeah. better understanding when than just just doing you know heaps of on court basic drills. I, I think that's uh, could be something for the future. That uh, well, I should advertise your services here on the circuit actually because you could do both. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's my philosophy too. My philosophy as a tennis coach is based around you know the physical and movement because. You know, in my opinion, you can have the best technique in the world, but if you can't get to the ball or get to a good position to use that technique, it's sort of worthless. Um, if you're wanting to be a good player or, or the best, you know, athlete you can be. So, for me, um, I think it's definitely shaped the way that, that I coach as well. I don't just stand there and, and focus on technique. I, I put it into practice. It's um, you know, sometimes you've got to get the stroke production right, but as soon as I think it's okay, I'm going straight back into hitting. Um, I'm seeing how it, how it goes live ball. I'm, yeah, getting them to understand how their body works with the actual hitting because I think that's where where a lot of people go wrong too, thinking that it's just about the arm and, and the hand and how good that is, where it's like, no, you've got to use your body, you've got to use your legs. That's where all the power comes from. So, yeah. Definitely part of the way that I that I think and I train and coach um, as as a tennis coach. Well, that's right, isn't it? Because sometimes a, a technical problem can be a physical problem because they can't they can't actually activate their feet. Yeah. They can't they can't use their kinetic chain, and then all of a sudden they're out of yep. whack, and 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 you you're pushing the, the the barrow uphill really if you don't get the physical right first. We work with a 
athlete um, in the NTs, don't need to name him, but he his mobility and flexibility, he couldn't do a lunge where his knee would hit the ground, couldn't physically do it. Yeah. Yet we're asking him, and he was one of he's he's one of the top players in Australia for his age group. Yeah. Um, and but yet he couldn't do a lunge. So it's it's super interesting um, to see also the habits that you create, like you're saying, when that kinetic chain is out or when you can't reach a certain um, point of mobility or flexibility, like think about wide balls getting out and basically having to do a massive side lunge and stuff and not having the capability to do that. What do you do to compensate for the inability to do that? So yeah. you start to create some, some not-so-good habits which become difficult to untrain as you get older. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's... Uh... Going forward in your career, you, you certainly, uh, and as you finish your masters, and you'll have all that knowledge that you can then apply and understand a little bit more intimately on the court. Uh, I'm sure that's going to hold you in good stead. So, so I suppose to to, to finish off, Joe, you know, you, you've had a, a fantastic upbringing in some ways because you you've done it tough, to be honest, uh, which is a good thing. Yeah. And it's, look, I, I tend to think some of the good coaches come from that path anyway sometimes and um and you've got a greater understanding of uh of the pathways i suppose in a lot of coaches both educationally and that so so where where do you see see yourself going now now that you're doing your masters and you've you've dabbled in strength and conditioning are you going to try and become an afl guru or guress sorry to be sexist um no i definitely think I'd be surprised if I went away from tennis completely um, because it has always been and probably will always be my number one love and and passion. Um, But I'd love to combine the two. Um, Obviously, the ideal role would be um, working with, uh, you know, sub-elite national level to professional um, tennis players and, and not only, you know, working with them as a tennis coach, but but in their physical development and their strength and conditioning um, in that role as well. So that that's probably the goal. But at the moment, just like I say, diversifying, um, just increasing, you know, my skill set, my knowledge, and just trying to become a better coach as well. Um, it, all around, just you, you know, more than anything, it's, it's also about your interaction with the players and, and the team and the coaches and, um, you know, building that rapport and relationships that's probably the most in, important thing um, or, or tool that, that any coach can have, to be honest. Oh, for sure, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, one of, the, one of my favourite quotes ever is, athletes, athletes don't care what you know until they know you care. Yeah. Which, to be honest, I think that's, that's very true and I, I try my best to to build relationships and understand they take time. So, um, yeah, you definitely helped me understand that as well. It's not, and um, yeah, it's not just about the player. It's also about the parent. You know, they're the ones that are making the decisions. So you have to get them involved and and you have to, you know, keep them as informed, if not more informed than the player themselves. So, yeah, it's just a journey and, and I'm learning. You're still learning. You're the... You're the guru of everything, Lawrence. So I'm lucky to have you as a resource. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, look. Hopefully. Uh, well, I think you, you probably uh, 
the future, Joe, because uh, a tour player, as, as I said before, they could get two in one. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> quite quite interesting, actually. And I think that uh, that's that's a big issue on tour, isn't it? Because the issue is that a lot of players rank three, four, five hundred, can't even afford a coach, let alone a fitness person on tour. So that, yeah. that, that's that's a that's a tough one. So if somebody can combine the two elements, uh, it could could ultimately think, be yeah, a very valuable resource. Yeah, yeah I think. A struggle for, for for a lot of players and um, yeah I'd love to to be able to help in that regard and um, yeah it'd be, it'd be definitely a journey I'd like to take in the future that's for sure fantastic all right that's a great story Joe um, you, you've uh, done heaps and you're going to do heaps more uh, thanks for chatting about that good luck with the masters going forward and uh, hopefully uh, when there's a few flights in about a year's time. I can come and say hi again. <laughs> okay, thanks, Joe. Yeah, I know. It's been a while. Thanks for having me on, Laurie. Okay, ciao. Thanks for, to Joe for having chatted about her career and her sporting career and, and, and the development so far. I think it's really important, as I said in the introduction, that she's always given her best. She's worked really hard and she's learned heaps of lessons in her career, which now she can use in her coaching. So. It's really important to, to emphasize that, 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 that if, you, if you do sport and, and you know, initially your aim is to be top 10, top 100, you don't quite make it to that level, but you become a very good athlete, uh, you, you'll learn heaps of lessons that are going to help you in life and or coaching.